Dean, uh, thanks for having us here to the KC Stadium. Uh, we were just standing outside and I was hoping you'd get sort of wistful and teary-eyed, but you sort of said it was just another football pitch. And uh, you, I was, I was distraught at your lack of romance. Is, is that really the case? Yeah. Well, I work for the football club, so I see it every day now. So it's, yeah. uh, nah, listen, it was a special place when I played here, being a whole lad. Yeah. I mentioned to you outside, you know, Bulfrey Park was, you know, a great little ground, you know, it was, you know, a great history. But times move on, and then they move to the KC and to play in front of 25,000, you know, and to score, it was, was good. But as you say, it's just another ground. You know, you've played on that many grounds, you know, but um, no, obviously, I'll say it be my club, and I was proud to play on there. For you, a local lad, to play at Boothbury Park or here in front of a full house and score, it's it's kind of Royal or over stuff. I, describe it to someone who will never experience something like that. It's, it's difficult to to describe that. You know, when you've scored a goal, you don't know. You know, you don't know what you're doing. Sometimes, yeah. um, you know, ten seconds of madness. I've done some stupid celebrations, but um, you know, f- to be a whole lad and and to play for your hometown was special. Um, and obviously, you know, it's an added bonus when you, you know, when you are a goal scorer. And I don't know how many goals I scored for Hull, but I think it was quite a few in the nineties. And then when I came back here, you know, to get promoted to the Premier League for your hometown club was was somewhat special. But um, you know, now I work for the football club as well. You know, it's even, you know, the one thing about it is they'll always be, always be with me. This football club, and you know, I'm proud now to work for it as well. Uh, you're an ambassador for the club. What yeah. what does the role involve? Well, it's match day stuff. Uh, you know, I have a I have a, an ex player on match days, and we get interviewed. He gets interviewed by you know obviously he's for his football club, and I get interviewed for the whole city. Do five lounges, watch the game, and then do four lounges at the end, mm. and then basically day to day stuff. Uh, you know, when my boss James tells me I've got to go to a school, I'll go to a school and and talk to children in schools. Mm. But it's it's quite easy for me because I'm a whole lad, and like I said uh, last night, you know. Um, I've probably played at these schools, you know, for my for my school team. So, you know, my first ever school was the school that I went to was Francesco School, as a junior school. So, you know, I went there uh, a week last Monday, and a few memories. <laughs> I probably learnt more when I went the other day than I did when I was little. But <clears throat> no, it's a it's a great honour. It's a privilege, you know, that the the owners of the football club have have asked me to to be the ambassador of this football club. And if you'd have said that to me. Uh, Twenty odd years ago, that I'd be an ambassador of Old City, and I laughed at you. But you know, I'm I'm proud, and you know, I'm privileged. You're sort of probably the moment you're best known for in your career, scoring the the goal that got um, Hull City promoted to the Premier League mm. uh, for the first time, and what a goal it was! Uh, and and to do that at Wembley, age thirty nine. Yeah, talk us through it. Well, it, it, listen, it, it's always it's always going to get. You know, living in Hull now and wherever you go, you know, people not just asked about the goal at Wembley, but you know, I'm quite proud that I scored a lot of goals for Hull City and uh, scored 234 goals in my football career. Mm-hmm. And I only get mentioned about one, um, which is the goal at Wembley. But I think one of the proudest moments was scoring at Cardiff City when we beat Cardiff to, to stay in the championship, championship. You know, and I thought, you know, you know, my life couldn't get any better. You know, to keep Hull, to come back. Obviously, on loan from from Bradford City, at 37 year old, to to score the goal, you know, to to sort of keep us in the championship was, I didn't think it'd get any better than that. Yeah. But then when you when you play the next season, and I was 39 year old, obviously, and 
scored on the 39th minute. I'm not a religious person, but somebody must have been looking down on me that day. And, but no, it was a memorable day, a memorable day for the football club and for the supporters. Um, you know, my kids were at Wembley, my dad was still alive, obviously. And, you know, it was just one of them defining moments in my life that'll never, ever, ever, ever leave me. And I think even if I did forget about it, you know, people would remind me every day when I'm, when I'm walking around the city. So, no, it was just a proud day. And, you know, it, it, listen, it was me who scored the goal. You know, and it, it didn't really matter who scored long as we got to, you know, I never thought that Bradford City would get would get to, to the Premier League as a little club like Bradford, but you know, I never thought all City would either. And you know, I was I was proud to, to, to play in both teams to get promoted, so you know, it was a great day for everybody. But times have moved on now. I I've moved on and you know, as you say, I work for the football club and, and, and hopefully now this football club will stay in the Premier League for a number of years. How important is it to a place like Hull to have a team in the Premier League? Well, it's a knock-on effect for everybody. You know, for everybody in the city who work for, you know, work for a living. You know, because there's more jobs obviously created. We've just got the, you know, the city culture as well. You know, so, you know, there'll be more cafe bars opening and things like that. So, and it's important that we have a football team that's in the Premier League. You know, and you know, twenty-five thousand here every week. You know, that's what people want to see: Premiership football. Um, so it'll be a great knock-on effect. When we got promoted to, you know, to the Premier League with Wembley, obviously the city's buzzing. You know, everybody, you know, it puts Hull on the map. You know, Hull gets a bad publicity sometimes. You know, and there's good places and bad places everywhere. You know, but now that you know people are talking about Hull City being, being city culture for one, and obviously being a, a Premier League Premier League footballer, uh, football team, and and then you've got Hull FC and, and Old Kingston Rovers. So it's it's a very sporty city. And you know the the two whole rugby teams are are in the top flight as well in their in, the, in their division, and and we're in the top flight in, in in football. So it's everything's rosy in the garden for Hull at the minute. Do you think they'll stay up? I don't know. I, I was a bit you know sceptical a little bit about you know the last couple of months where we went through a bit of a dip, but we've we've turned it around. You know, Steve Bruce has done a fantastic job for the football club and. He's brought in Mike Freeling as his assistant manager and it's, it seemed to galvanise the team a little bit, a new voice on the training ground. I was doing an interview last night, a uh, Q&A session with, with Curtis Davis, the captain of the club, and in front of the supporters, and he told us how well he'd done. You know, Mike Freeling had come in and, and turned it round, the training's changed. And I think Steve needed that, Steve needed a little bit of help, and full credit to the players. You know, the last two home games, we've had two great victories against Villa and QPR. Uh, now we've got a massive game against Stoke on Saturday, so as you say, we can see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel now. Nice. Um, when you got the the goal that brought Hull up to the Premier League, you, you told Phil Brown you'd, you'd score it. Did did you know? Was it just a feeling, or was it a lucky guess? I'd scored. A, listen, I'd, I'd had a good season, so I you know I was I was very fortunate to score. But, you know, I think I went five games in my career without scoring. You know, that was the longest I ever went. And it's one of them where you, when you're a, when you're a goal scorer, I felt as though I was going to score every time I played. You know that was my confidence. I was a confident lad, um, and I I just said to Phil, he left me out against Sheffield United. Uh, we played Sheffield United on it. I think it was a midweek game, and he left me out. And that was obviously one of my former clubs. But he knew that I couldn't play two games in 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 so many days. And we had a game on the Saturday. I can't remember who we were playing. And he just said, look. I'm, leave, I'm putting you on the bench on, against Sheffield United if, if we need to bring you on because you, you're going to be playing on Saturday. So I respected him for that. And then I'd, in the, I can remember being in the change rooms and I just said, well, 
I was gutted that he left me out, obviously, because I always wanted to play. And I just says, but I'll score the goal that'll, that'll get us into the Premier League. I don't know why he said it, but I just... I, I think it was a bit of tongue-in-cheek at first. And I just said, I'll score the goal that, that gets us to the, to the Premier League. And that was... We didn't even know we were going to go to Wembley. I just thought we'll ho- hopefully go automatic because we went on an unbelievable run. Yeah. You know, after we got beat by, by Preston 3-0, after that, near Christmas time, I think we went 13 games unbeaten. And that's obviously got us into the playoffs. The championship is, is notoriously difficult to get out of. Mm. Um, it, it, why do you think that is? Is it just like everyone seems to be able to beat everyone? Yeah, it's, it's an unpredictable league. I think that you know, even now in the championship, now you know you see the bottom team beating the top team. You know, and the one thing about the championship, if you're not at it every week, you know everybody's on their level playing field, and if you're not at it every week, you're going to get beat by the bottom teams. So you know, we had that self-belief as a group. You know, and the, the the coaching staff. You know, as you say, I think Phil Brown came in at the Preston game and says, "If you think we can get in the playoffs, you've got nothing coming. If you're going to play like that," and then from then on, <laughs> we went 13 games without losing. So we 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 sort of peaked, you know, at the right time. Um, and as you say, we got to the playoffs. You know, we ended up playing Watford at, at Watford, and and thinking if we come away with a point, or obviously a draw. You know, we, we was always confident of win game, winning games here, and we won the game two 0 on the, on the Sunday, um, and then the Wednesday night, I think we ended up winning the game seven two in aggregate, or something like that. Crystal Palace played Bristol City in their in their leg, and and if I am an honest ge- geezer, I think that I would rather have played Bristol City than Crystal Palace because you know it was Neil Warnock's Crystal Palace team, and I think we beat them down here three one, Crystal Palace, and you know that I think that they were a better team than Bristol City, but. You know, Bristol City got through and we all wanted Bristol City to win because we felt as though we could beat Bristol City and it'd be an easier game than it would have been against Palace. And Bristol City got through and then obviously we won 1-0. And it's a long old slog of a season for any player in a championship and getting to the playoff final, but for you as an old fella at that stage, like 39, was it... Was it Physically exhausting for you, or were you well, I was, well? Or were you? Yeah, it was well. As you say, because I was coming to the end, I was. If I if I started a game, I'd come off after about sixty nine minutes. We had that light. Me and Phil were, were you know, we were quite close as as you know as in, individuals. Mm-hmm. So if I was on the pitch and I hadn't scored, you know, I didn't want to get brought off. But then if I'd scored and then I looked at the clock and it was sixty five, sixty six minutes, I'd sort of look over and go, now bring Callum Fallen on, you know. Yeah. So we had that understanding, really. Um, but with Bradford City, we got automatic. We, we went up automatically, so then you have a long summer. But then to, to go right through that season and then have like sort of one more week to do it again, you know, in the playoffs, you know, I was, you know it was quite tough, but you know, we, the, the gaffer sort of monitored it quite, quite well. He, you know, I think he'd been there with Bolton, I think with Sam, you know, in the playoffs and things like that. And so we, the training wasn't that hard, you know, building up to the playoffs. You know, he sort of said, look, we'll just go steady, just tick over, don't get any injuries, don't, you know, this, that and other. Unfortunately, I think Dean Marnie, he got a thigh injury. Um, he had a block tackle with, with Nathan Doyle in training and, and Dean missed the final because of a, a thigh injury. And then, you know, Nicky Barnby played on the left and Brian Hughes, you know, went into centre midfield. But Dean Marnie would have played in the centre and, and Brian Hughes would have been on the left and Barnes would have been sub. But, you know, through the injury, you know, that... Nicky played on the left and, and Brian played and Dean obviously was sub because he wasn't 100% fit. When you came up with 
Bradford. Is it true you took a, some time? You, you skipped your summer holidays to. to yeah, I was. Yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, I was never the quickest. You know, I. You know, I. I wasn't. People laugh, but I wasn't slow. But I wasn't. I, I wasn't quick. But I was very fit, and I knew that in the Premier League that you, you you're playing against athletes. Do you know what I mean? You, you know these lads can run, yeah. and I. You know, and I just so, said to me, my wife at the time, I said, look. I'm not going to go on all day. I, I never drank all summer. I never, you know, I, all I did was I think I had a week off. And then after that week, I just trained constantly right through, right through to pre-season. So when I went back, I was ahead of everybody else. Um, and, and obviously, consequently, I, I think I scored 10 goals in the, in the first season for Bradford, you know, in the Premier League. And, and we stayed up that season under Paul Jewell. You know, Paul Jewell was brilliant because he said, when we, when we sat down as a group, said if we finish fourth on bottom this season, we've had a fantastic season because we knew we were going to get beat by Man United, we knew we were going to get beat by Arsenal, you know, but we had to win our home games yeah. to stay in the Premier League. Um, so that season, yeah, I didn't go on holiday. I trained right through. Um, and obviously then when I went back, I was, I was you know, super fit and, and that got me through that season really. And to be top goal scorer with 10 goals, in a struggling team was was quite good, and Paul Joel actually dropped me back into midfield a few times because we always played sort of, you know, a four-five-one system. If we went to Old Trafford, I'd either be the lone striker or I'd play midfield in a three because I was very fit and I'd run up and down, and I got ten goals that season, which was quite quite uh, quite hard to do when you're in the Premier League and you know that you're going to get beat every other week. What what's that like actually? Say if you're as a player, you're lining up in the tunnel at Old Trafford and you pretty much know we're going to get slaughtered here. Is you it go there dispiriting with it. or... Do no, you... Hey, listen, you, you're just happy to be there. Do you know, and nobody, nobody gives you a chance in, in hell to, to win at Old Trafford. And, you know, I, I managed to win at Old Trafford, I think, a couple of times with Middlesbrough, but I never won with Bradford yeah. uh, and I never won with Hull. And, you know, the one thing about it is that you know, you, you enjoy you enjoy the occasion, but you, you go there with a game plan. You know, and, he, and sometimes that game plan goes out the window when when they score early doors, and then you've got to adapt. But listen, it's a, it's a journey that you enjoy. You know, and if you do come away with something, you know, you've got to be quite real to yourself that if you get something at Old Trafford or if you go to Ibury when when we're playing at Ibury or whatever, is that if you come away with a point, you, you've done well. If you lose, everybody expects you to lose. But you go there, you have a right good go, and I I actually love playing against the top players because you know you you know you want to play against the best players in the world, and I I managed to do that on the numerous occasions. You know against the Beckhams and the the Keens and the Vieiras and the Tony Adams of this world. You know you're actually you know watching when I was an amateur footballer, you're actually watching these lads on match of the day, and then next minute you're playing against them. It was it was quite surreal, but I sort of enjoyed that in, environment. And you say like when you were an amateur footballer watching them a match of the day you as a kid you had like proper jobs before becoming a footballer you yeah. worked on a buildings you worked at factories do you think that stood to you in any way or no I, it, it, it was probably the best thing that ever happened do you know me getting released as an 18 year old at Hull City with Brian Orton and then having to go play for North Ferriby United uh, and then working in a factory I first worked in a factory and then I worked at Baird's Eye, where my mum worked. And then I got a job for about 16 months on a building site and playing amateur football. So when I did sound professional football, I, I appreciated everything I got because I had done both. 
you know, like it's a great life being a footballer. It's not as easy when you work on a building site and you're getting up at half past seven, you know, carrying bricks up a up a ladder. So um that is probably the best thing that ever happened to me, getting released as an eighteen year old because I worked hard to get back into it. And I always used to say I don't want to go back to that building site and that's what spared me on. Do you think kids these days have it too easy? Too easy, without a shadow of a doubt. My, my eldest son's a footballer. Mm. You know, he's at Accrington. Yeah, I'm going to watch him tonight. He's playing better than Albion tonight. And um, you know, he did his scholarship. They call them scholarships now, not apprentices. When I was apprentice, you'd clean the boats, you'd sweep the stands. You know, you'd do everything. You know, then you train afterwards. But now kids, you know, they do have it too easy. You know, and I think, you know, them two years as a, an apprenticeship. You know, the best two years of your life because it's a discipline thing. You know, you you know you want to be you want to be a professional footballer. You want to be going home at twelve o'clock. You know, when you're sweeping the stands and you're seeing your professionals getting in the cars and going home, it sort of edged you on to to do that. But I think when I was at Middlesbrough, the kids you know be driving in in the car parks with BMWs. You know, I had a mountain bike when I when I was apprentice. You know, I'd, you know I did. I lived on Gypsy Hill just around there, and I come to training on my mountain bike. At Bulfrey Park, left it in the lock in the locker. Somebody actually pinched my bike. <laughs> you know, when I come back from training, somebody pinched my bike. I got a bike for Christmas, and somebody pinched it. Um, but you know, the game has moved on. The game's changed. You know, and it, as you say, yeah, I think if kids, you know, had to clean boats, they'd, they'd appreciate you know more. But they don't. Well, a lot of them seem to think that they've cracked it once they signed the forums now and. Well, the, the, I, listen, the one thing I did was, you know, my dad was a great role model for me and he said when you sign your year contracts, your professional contracts, which I signed with Terry Dolan, he'd give me a two and a half year contract. My dad said, you know, this is where the hard work starts now, you know, because people do rest on the laurels a little bit and, you know, and, and sort of go, well, I'm, I'm a professional footballer now. I've made it now, I don't have to try, you know, but I said to my son, he signed a year pro, um last year under James Beatty and I said this is where your hard work starts now you've got to push on now and then he signed another two year contract and I says it starts again you know you, you're playing for another contract now and you know don't just accept what you're getting now I, I, I always remember when I went to Aberdeen um, that and you obviously then your money goes up you know you start earning a little bit more money and I wanted to earn a little bit more and, and I wanted to earn a little bit more and I never you know I never sort of stood still I just wanted to earn a little bit more money and provide for my family and, and consequently that, that's what happened yeah. um, You've described yourself I've heard you in an interview describe yourself as a, a horrible player to play against you know can you elaborate on that? I was different I was different to when I went across the white line mm. and a lot of footballers hated me but I didn't want to be liked when I was on the pitch I didn't nice person off the pitch I'd do out for anybody off the pitch do you know what I mean and, I'll cry with anybody, but when I go across that white line, I was I was nasty. Yeah, I was horrible. I'd do anything to win a game of football, and you know that's where you've got to be. You know, you know, you, when you you don't win nothing by being nice. You know, and it's not it's not a nasty thing. You know, I was a different animal when I come out. My my ex-wife at the time, she used to hate watching me because you know, and the, my kids were little and they'd, they'd know when when I'd lost it. You know, and it's and I lived on the edge. I, I played on the edge. Uh, sometimes across across that that line where I got sent off a few times, but you know I think that's you know that that made me a good player. That made you know that was that that spark I needed, you know, and 
I never ever changed and I'd speak to all the ex-players now and they used to say I used to hate playing against you and my philosophy was you know if I don't play well then my centre-half's not going to play well yeah. you know and, and the biggest compliment I ever had you know Terry Venables when he signed me from Millersworth you know so I said and every manager said it Terry Dolan Brian Robson Terry, uh, Terry Venables Roy Aitken and everybody said the same thing if you play well Dean Windus the team will play well now that was a massive pressure on me but I, I loved it I loved that pressure and I think players fed off me you know and I was a leader you know I wasn't I wasn't the I wasn't the big shouter and talker you know like a few captains uh, Paul Lynch was a shouter and a talker Ian Ashby was a shouter and a talker I I did mine physical wise you know and I'd help you know Fraser Campbell came to the football club and I tried educating Fraser because he'd come from reserve teams in, for Manchester United and I just says, look, you know, do this, do that. Not patronising, but... And he's, you know, he, he actually said, you helped me when I was a, when I was a young footballer. You know, Fraser's now, you know, had a fantastic football career. Speaking of this, going back a bit, as a Bradford player, you celebrated FIFA Fair Play Day in 2006 by grabbing John Finnegan by the bollocks mm. and he got sent off for retaliating. Yeah, uh, yeah that must have been a, good, a, a typical day's work. In the, the FIFA work, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, but listen, it didn't matter what day it was. I was still nasty, do you know what I mean? So, and it was one of them, listen, I'd do anything to get somebody sent off. Do you know, and it's one of them, do you know, I'd, just the old, do you know, standing on the goalkeeper's toes, do you know, doing anything really. And we both fell on the ground it was a bit of a tussle on the on the ground and I grabbed all of his his, his bollocks and, and squeezed him as hard as I could because I wanted a reaction off him and, and I got it and he, he he lashed out at me and the referee sent him off for lashing out at me and, but the referee never saw me you know, you know, grabbing him, I did it on the sly and, and I made out as though I had done out wrong and you know, he, he got sent off we won the game till one I scored and I'd done my job and if he said that you were cheating then I don't really care because you know, the video printer said 2-1, win just one goal, who cares? I thought you were, you were a clever player. You, As you said, you weren't particularly quick, but you, I remember... Well, James is going to laugh at you because I know what you're going to say is that, you know, the one thing about it is if you haven't got pace, then you've got to do people by your movement. Well, yes, yeah. So There was a goal you got against James Gillingham once. Uh, oh, God. I think cross I mean, you pretty much knew you wouldn't win it in the air, so you... Drew back to where right. you thought the defender would head it. He did, yeah. and you smashed it back. Yeah, and he's going to laugh, but it's football intelligence. Yeah. I know when somebody's going to flip. Listen, I scored probably, I scored 234 goals. I'd say about 170, 190 of the goals are at the back stick because I know that everybody used to go in, so I used to just drag myself away. Do you know, Harry Kane scored a goal the other day do you know, at the back stick because everybody's got attracted to the football and he comes in and taps in at the back stick. Do you know, the one thing about it is that do you know, I actually, it's, it's an instinct, do you know, you can't coach it, do you know, it's just natural instinct, and I had that natural instinct, and people have natural instinct, but then don't have the ability to finish, mm. do you know, I had sort of both, but I had to have that, because I wasn't quick, I could never beat anybody in a race, but my movement, do you know, which Terry Venables, do you know, coached me, do you know, it was quite a compliment, because Terry Venables said, uh, I'm signing you, because you remind me of Teddy Sheringham, because Ted, Teddy couldn't run, yeah, but what a football career Teddy had, you know, and it was his, you know, his all-round link play, you know, as a, as a link man, you know, and in the towards the end of my career, I become I was a number ten, basically all my life, and then 
as I come to the last four or five years of my career, I was a number nine. You know, Alan Shearer adapted his his football. You know, when he got older, he he'd run all the channels, Alan Shearer. But when it come to the end, he'd he'd just stand up front as a number nine and hold the ball up, flick the ball onto people who could run. So I adapted my career, uh, football career quite well. Yeah. And there was another goal you got, uh, I think it was against Arsenal, for Bradford, a quickly taken free kick. Yeah, well, I think in them days is that, you, you know, I don't, I don't really know what the rules are now, but you have to wait for the whistle now and they put all that spray down, don't they? And, well, I think you can ask the referee. Can you ask the, yeah, well, I used to ask the, ask the referee if, if the goalkeeper, because obviously at that day David Seaman was lining the wall up, you know, we beat, we beat Arsenal that day, 2-1 it was actually. And, you know, David Seaman was lining the wall up. I asked the referee, can I take it quick? Because they're messing about lining the wall up and, and bent it over the wall in the top corner. And you know, Arsene Wenger wasn't happy about it, but if you're not going to get your wall sorted out, you know, then I'm going to take the free kick. You know, I think Don, Don Hutchinson used to do it a lot for Sunland. You know, and it's, it's one of them, you know, put the ball down quick because he's lining it up. If the referee says, no, you've got to wait on the whistle, then that's just what you've got to do. Uh, I just want to touch briefly on your, your time in Scotland. Because um, looking at your career clubs, with the possible exception of, say, Oxford, you, you look the most northern man alive, but you had time up in, in Aberdeen. How And that was, I mean, the, the Scottish Premier League seems to have fallen yeah. on its uppers at the moment, but it was, it was, oh, no, it was, was good then. It was a fantastic move for me. And, you know, people asked me, was, you know, was the best player to play against was, was Paul Gascoigne. Was, oh. was was unplayable. When they played for Glasgow Rangers, and from playing in 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 the, in the old Division Two for Hull in the nineties to, to to move to the Scottish Premier League, you know, with Celtic and Rangers actually, on, you know, they had some good players. And we was always third in the in, in the league. Aberdeen had just won the Coca Cola Cup the week before I signed, so the the town was was buzzing, and I I loved it. I loved it. Two and a half years there, you know, I, I settled in really well, really well. You know, the Scottish. The Scottish people, you know, obviously all played against hated me because I was English, <laughs> you know, and, and they say, you know, some of the referees was a bit, you know, a bit, I think Roy Aitken came out and says, you know, he's been targeted because he's an, an English thug or something like that, but, you know, I, I, I loved it, absolutely, you know, it was a big stage for me, you know, probably the best stadium I played at was, was you know, Parkhead, you know, in front of 67, 70,000 people. Mm. Never won there either. <laughs> you know, I got beat four 0 twice, and I think five 0 once as well. So, uh, but no, what a, what a stage to play on. You know, in, you know, as, at Ibrox as well. And to, like you say, as a kid, you know, growing up, I used to watch DVDs of Paul Gascoigne. You know, because he was one of them characters where he played off the cuff. You know, he was a, he was a he was a joker. You know, I never modelled myself on Gazza, but. I used to play with a smile on my face and Paul was like that and be, obviously become a quite a good friend of Paul's as well and, and Andy Gorham and people like that and you know it was a, a massive massive move for me and it was the best thing I ever did was move away from Hull really um, but then Roy Aitken got the sack after you know obviously uh, went towards the end of my my Aberdeen career and Alec Miller came in and I didn't really see eye to eye with Alec he was playing me then he wasn't playing me then he was playing me then he wasn't and I just says, look, I'm not. I don't want to be. I one of them players would sit on the bench, on the bench and earn me money. I was 24, and I just wanted to play, and that's how I went up in Oxford. Yeah. Um, so you're one. You'd throw your the rattle will go out of the pram if you're not getting picked. Oh yeah, I'd sulk yeah, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. Oh, I was. I was the biggest sulker. Yeah. If I listen, I wanted to play football, and I felt as though I should have been. If I did, listen, I was one of them. If I if I wasn't playing well and I got left out, I, I'd accept it. 
it's not very often I played bad, like you know what I mean. Mm. But um, no, I I played all my career really, and when you know I even get listen in the Premier League when I was thirty nine year old and Phil won't play me, I'd still knock on his door. You what you can ask him every day. I knocked on his door, saying why are I playing? You, your striker's not scoring goals. Why are I playing? Didn't care if I was thirty nine coming to my fortieth birthday or I was twenty four. I still had that you know that desire and drive to play, mm. and I was probably a pain in the ass for managers <laughs> knocking on the door, but. You know, when I speak to Phil now, he used to say I used to love it because I know that you wanted to play football. Mm. Um, there's a lot of players nowadays, they're earning a lot of money and don't really care, you know, because you, you get paid what, regardless. If you don't play, you still get your wages at the end on the 28th of every month. So, it didn't, you know, a lot of players will just sit there and accept not to play and just pick the money up. I and wasn't like that. What do you think of guys like that? And, you know, there's some big-name players who are... Big-name players, but what do, what do you do about it? You can't... You know, there's nothing you can do about it if that's their man- mentality. You know, it's up to the manager who's manager of that player to to do something about it. You either you either ship him out on loan or whatever, or or you make him train with the kids. That's what they did in my day. You know, if you if you land an argument with the manager and you won't play, and you go train with the kids, and you'd have to train hard to train back with the first team. You know, and it's it's not nice. I've never had the opportunity to go train with the kids. The only time I trained with the kids is when I was suspended. But then in them days, when we played reserve team football, I'd asked to play in the reserves. You know, you don't see anybody asking to play behind closed doors games. If there's a closed, if there's a behind closed doors game now, or when I played and Phil had set up a, a game against uh, the League Two team or whatever, and, and your fringe players weren't playing, and I was suspended on the Saturday, I'd asked if I could play. You know, because then I've got a game under my belt. But a lot of players don't do that. I might be different to everybody else. <laughs> um. When you retired, the in the years after your retirement, mm. the, the sky fell in. Basically, a lot of personal problems. I know that your dad died, and that affected you a lot. But was that the trigger, or was it that you, you hadn't really prepared for retirement? Uh, no, I prepared. I prepared for re- retirement. I worked for Soccer Saturday for nearly two years, but then I was going through a divorce as well. And I was one of these characters where I never. I never sort of spoke to anybody. You know, I always, I had problems when I was 12 year old when my, when my parents got divorced. And it, it, it you know, it, it hurt me. You know, I, I struggled. Um, and every time I had a drink in the early, early, early days, I would cry. You know, you know I would pee the bed. I would, you know, when I'd had a drink. Like, are we talking a lot of drink? Yeah, oh, yeah. Heavy, heavy drink. Well, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't drink during the week when I was a footballer, but then when I would go out on a Saturday night after a game, and then I'd drink and I'd be drunk or whatever, I'd go home and my my wife would say, you know, you, you, you know, you're crying. I'd pee the bed. Oh, my, my ex-wife used to have a laugh and joke. You know, it's, she said she was the only 31 year old bed who, who had nappy rash <laughs> because I'd pee the bed every time. But like, I went to see a counsellor. I went to see a counsellor in Aberdeen. Um, oh, so this was while you were still playing. No, I was still yeah. playing, yeah, mm. yeah, and and I I expressed a, a few things to this counsellor in Aberdeen, well in Glasgow it was. Um, I went to see him for about seven or eight weeks, and then things got a little bit better. You know, I stopped drinking, um, but I still had that sort of bad thing in the back of my mind. You know, it was something always niggling me. You know, and it, I never expressed it to anybody. You know, after that. 
Did, did you know what it was? No, it was just, I don't know what it was. Probably when I had a drink, I'd think about my mum and dad. You know, after it seems when Elvis Presley come on, I'd cry, because my dad used to listen. And my mum used to listen to Elvis Presley all the time. So it was just like that had set me off. But then towards towards the end of my career, I obviously then retired. Um, and if my ex-wife was in here now, she'd probably tell you that I was a mess. But I never told anybody. I'd, I'd close the front door and then I'd be a mess. And then when I retired, as you say, I got divorced. You know, I moved back to Hull. I missed my children. I was drinking heavily then because I had not. I was still working for Sky, but you know, I wasn't there mentally and. Uh, and then the Iceland woman was on the cake with me on my dad and you know, I was drinking very heavily. You know, uh, tried to take my life twice. Can't really remember because I was that drunk. And, and that was. I mean, t t to try to take your own life is is that well, it's rock stupid. bottom. Stupid, stupid. But I, 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 I dare, I dare that many people. My ex-wife, my kids. You know, the girlfriend who I was going out with at the time. And I just thought, if I'm not here, then I can't hear anybody anymore. And that's how I felt. Um, and I thought, well, the more I drink... Because I didn't have the balls to do it when I was sober. So I thought, the more I drink, then... And then I can end it. I can be at peace, basically, with my own self. And, and then I'll stop hurting people. You know, fortunate for, for everybody. And it's a selfish thing. I'm not proud of what I did. I wasn't proud of what I did because my kids, uh, and my kids, that's Josh was, I think, was was 18 at the time, 17, 18. Jordan was was 12, 13. And it was it was mad because when my mum and dad got divorced, my brother was 18 and I was 12, 13. When I got divorced, my son was 18 and my little boy was 12, 13. So it was like a a vicious circle. And I always said when I got married, I'd never put my kids through what I went through. But I did. And I wasn't proud of myself for it. And I was beating myself up about it. And then when my dad died, you know, because I never spoke to my... Me and my old man was, like, the closest ever. And I had a, I had a disagreement with him about something. I can't remember where it was. On the telephone, and my dad was quite a strong character, and I was very opinionated as well. And we had a, a war of words on the telephone. And I never, I never spoke to him for four or five months. And on that four or five months, he died. So I blamed myself. I blamed you. I thought if I... I can remember working here. I was working for Soccer Saturday here. I did the game here. I was in the gantry working for Sky. And I can remember driving from Leeds to the KC. And I thought, shall I pop in and see him? But I thought, fuck him. No, I'm not going to do that. Why, would I, why should I? Why should I go to him? He's the dad. He should come to me. And that Saturday night, he died. So me driving back from the KC to go back to Leeds and then I go out for a drink and then I get the phone call that your dad's had an ass attack and he's dead. Messed me up inside. Messed me, messed me head up. And I didn't know how to cope with it. I mean, stuff like that happens, all of us. You seem to be very hard on yourself. Yeah, because I always... Listen, I, I'm over it now and don't get me wrong, you had good days and bad days. You know, I think that now if I want to go into rehab... I won't be able to talk about this now. I'll be in floods of tears. Don't, don't get me wrong, it's still there. It's, of course it does. You know, but I don't get tearful anymore. I don't, I've accepted that he's not here anymore. The one thing that I was very proud of that he watched everything I did before he died. Because I'd obviously then, you know, retired. And then obviously he died after that. But 
just sort of beat yourself up a little bit. You know, if I would have gone and knocked on his door, would he, you know, has he had an heart attack because he's stressed out because he's not talking to me, you know, and this, that and the other. So, yeah, I did blame myself. People will say that it wasn't your fault, but I, I felt as though it was. Um, how hard is, like, you know, a tough guy footballer, how hard was it for you to admit, you know, I, I have depression, I need help? Because um, you say you went quite early in your career, you got counselling. Would you have been of the opinion, oh, that, you know, it's a sign you're soft, or were you happy to, to take the help when it was off? I think it was, a, I think it was a pride thing, really. Do you know what I mean? It's a matter of when, when I did finally, and as you say, it was, listen, you know, we know what, what's just happened to Clark Carlisle. Um, and he's had problems all his all his life, and um, and it was Ian Ashby. He he knocked on my door, and he'd see me in the morning, and he just says, "You're a mess." Basically, didn't say it that way, like, but and he uh, and I just says, "I need help," and he went, uh, "I'm going to ring Clark Carlisle up for you because he was obviously working for the chairman of the PFL, whatever he was doing," uh, and I rang Clark up. I'd split up with a girl that I'd lived with in Hull. My ex-wife actually come down because obviously she did what how bad I was. And she took me back to Leeds. She let me stay at her house for, for a week or so. Spoke to Clark Carlisle. He put me on, on to James West, who works for Sporting Chance, a psychotherapist. I went down, <laughs> silly in it, really. Went down for an interview <laughs> to see if I have got fucking depression. <laughs> and I couldn't speak. I was just... Crying, crying, crying. So and he probably says, passed the interview. Then. Well, he, I passed the interview with flying colours. <laughs> and then he just says, you need to come in here, ASAP. Best 26 days of my life. Can you, can you tell us a bit about what they do there, or how they help? Uh, you get, you get. I can't obviously tell you who I was in there with, but three sports people and myself. It's a four-bedroomed house, and then there's a house next to it where the councillors stay. You have a councillor on call every night. I was in with two alcoholics and a, and a, and a druggie. And you have counselling sessions. You have one-to-one counselling sessions. You, obviously, you, you can't drink. But I never drank two weeks before I went in there. Um, I actually got the coins where I went to AA meetings, which I'm quite proud of. That I don't think I, I drank for 65 years, or whatever it was. Lost a, a lot of weight. You've got to go to the gym in the morning. You got to go to the gym on the night. I go to the gym every day now, anyway. So it was that was good for me. That sauna, steams, waking up in the morning. Um, so you'd have group sessions, and you'd have like an hour. It was like being back at school. Yeah. You know, they take your mobile phones off you. The first three days, they took your mobile phones off you. You couldn't. You weren't allowed to speak to anybody. Or oh, when I first went in, I was a mess. And you think you've cracked it when you come to the 25th day, and then all of a sudden you have a council meeting, and then he, he sparks them off, and then you, you're in floods of tears again. So you're always vulnerable, you're always... But James, James West and Julian oh, and, and Linda, our counsellors, best people in the world. And you had, you know, um, meditation lessons, you know, and everybody who works for, for Tony Adams' Sporting Chance, they were all addicts. Everybody's been in that, you know, if it, I can remember a bloke coming in and he was a masseur, and he was massaging, he was a qualified uh, masseur. And he'd been in there for drugs, you know. So everybody who, who sort of coached you or or teached you, whatever you're doing, they've they've had their problems. And what they've done is then they're working for the charity. You know, I think if I'd have lived in London, I'd have probably gone and worked for the charity as well. But because I'm a Yorkshireman, 
once I got away from that house, I never wanted to fucking go back to be quite honest with you. Yeah. Yeah, it was not, it, listen, it was lonely. You get your phones on a night, five till nine o'clock, then they'd take your phones off you at nine o'clock. You couldn't watch telly till five o'clock on a night. You'd have to do all your sessions during the day. And then you'd watch telly on a night, five till whenever you, you can in the morning. Then you'd have to be up at half past eight. And then you'd have a group meeting in the morning in the living room. And you, you become a family, you become a, you know, I, I still speak to the three lads now. And I actually, one of the lads texted me the other day and I asked him, I said, he's still off the drink? And he says, yeah. So obviously it's helped him as well. Um, mine was drink when I drank because I was down and it was a vicious circle. I got depressed, I went to go for a drink because I was depressed. And when I had a drink and then I was depressed again, so I had to go for a drink because I didn't want to be depressed and it was a circle. But then when I came out of rehab, when I had a drink, I could cope with it because I knew how to cope with it. I never got drunk to the extent where I was a mess. And now, don't get me wrong, I don't drink during the week. Or I'll have a couple of pints if I'm doing a thing, but certainly have a drink on the weekend. I enjoy myself on the weekend, but I know how to deal with it now. So, I mean, it was just booze that stopped you taking your own life because you made a mess of it, luckily. Mm. Um, we've seen Clark Carlisle, we know what happened to him before Christmas or was it just after. And yeah. Gary Speed, I think, was a pal of yours as well. Yeah, um, well, Gary, Gary killed himself two weeks before I went into rehab. And I, I actually watched Gary on Match of the Day. And right. you never thought he had any problems. And that just, that just sums it up. I do after dinner speaking now. And, and the one thing about it is that you may, I mentioned that at the end because I asked for help, basically. And if I didn't ask for help, I wouldn't be sat here talking to you now. You know, and I've turned my life around. I'm quite proud of myself for that. You know, that and there's only one person who can do it, is, is yourself. You can have all the help in the world, but if you don't help yourself, then you've got no chance. And I looked in the mirror. I've got two lovely kids, and I've got a beautiful girlfriend now, you know, and, and I'm happy, and I'm, and I'm busy, and I'm working. And, and thanks to the, to the owners of the football club, thanks for Simon and James and Luke and all the lads at the football club who, you know, based, and, the, and the supporters, you know, the messages and the goodwill messages that I, when I came out of rehab. And I thought, actually, you know, you know, people do like me a little bit, you know, and, and then you've got to say to yourself, you've got to give a little bit back now. You've got to, and don't get me wrong, I want to be a manager. I, I took all my coaching qualifications when I was a, a footballer and it's very tough to get into football. But who would take a drunk on? And who would give a drunk a, a job? And I thought that I had the divine right because I'd scored that many goals for blah, 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 and this, that, and other, that I had the divine right to get a job. Well... You know, it's a massive wake-up call in my life. And like you say, I speak to a lot of people and, you know, there's a lot of depression out there and it's an illness, it's an open illness and, you know, it's a dark hole that you've got to get yourself out of it because there's only, there's only you who can do it. Do you think you'd be a good coach? Well, I was an assistant manager to Colin Todd at Darlington and the players enjoyed my, you know, you know the way I tried to help players. I always say that you, I'd like to be a manager or a coach I'd treat players like I wanted to be treated. Honesty. You know, if you're not playing well, I'll tell you you're not playing well. If you're playing, you know, if you're playing well, I'll put I'll, I'll put your arm around your shoulder. Uh, it's like for the football club now when I when I do the debrief at the end. If the players haven't played well, I'm not going to say that they have because I'm because I'm the ambassador of the football club. Mm. I'll I'll tell it as it is. Sometimes people have got James as they got me sometimes for for being too honest, but that's just in my makeup. That's just the way I've always been. You know. I wish I'd have been more honest in my marriage and I wouldn't have got divorced. 
but that's just part of life. You know, life happens for a reason. You know, as you say, now I'm very happy with Francesca and my girlfriend, and you know, everything's everything's looking good at the minute. To be quite honest with you, you talk very knowledgeably about the game, and you seem to have an unbelievable memory for details of things that happened a long time. Is that something you think would help you if you wanted to be a coach? Like from the tack, I, I don't doubt you'd be a good man ma- manager and a good motivator. But in terms of the, the tactical end, of yeah, I think, that, yeah, I think I, you know, yeah, I watch. Listen, I watch games of football. I watch, you know, our games, and sometimes I disagree. With, you know what, what Steve's done. You know why has he done this? Why has he done that? I do that differently. But everybody does things differently. Mm-hmm. You know that's listening for all the same. Then it'd be, the life would be boring. So. You know, yeah, I think that tactically I'm, I'm, I'm very aware. I always, when I did my coaching qualifications, you know, they were very impressed of how I delivered things. You know, people think Dean Windus is thick, but I'm not thick at all. You know, I like to have a laugh and a joke, but when I, when I want to be serious, I'll be serious. People say, God, you swear a lot. Have I swore once? Yeah. If I'm a camera there, I never swear in front of cameras. Uh, three times, yeah, probably. <laughs> I was going to say, I was counting in my yeah, but, yeah, but I know this isn't going to go on television. But, you know, if, if, I, if I have a camera in front of me or if I do a local radio station, I, you know, I, I switch on and I switch off. And I'm very clever at that. And people say, God, I can't believe you never swore there. But it's just, it's just a natural thing that, you know, you, you, you go into the professional mode, basically. And, and I think that when I did my badges and, or whatever, coaching qualifications is... I always knew that you had to have, you, you pick a team, you do a, a system, but if that system's not working, then you've got to have a plan B, and then you've got to have a plan C. And, and I, listen, I'd love to have a, have a, have a crack at it, you know, in the low leagues. I'd start off in the low leagues. <clears throat> I said to Paul Ince at Middlesbrough when he took the Macclesfield job on. Full respect for Paul Ince for taking the Macclesfield job on. Do you know, because you think Paul Ince, Man United, Inter Milan, Middlesbrough, and now he's managing at Macclesfield. Alright, he's not in, in, in work now, but he started at the bottom. I started at the bottom as a footballer and got to the top. I'd like to do that as a manager. If, if that ever happened one day, you know, you never ever know. But I always put a CV in if if I'm if I feel as though that football club's right for me and I have a chance to 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 get into it. If it's a football club that I, I can't do, I won't put my CV into it because mm. I know that it'd be too much for me at this time. I'd like to start in League Two and, and we'll work my way up, but there's only a chairman out there who wants to give Dean Windows an opportunity. If he does, then brilliant. If he doesn't, it won't affect my life. I've got, you know, I've got other things. 